Welcome to In Focus, a discussion of current issues affecting our economy, featuring a review of the latest research and analysis from the Washington Research Council. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast from the Washington Research Council. I'm Mary Strau, Communications Director and Research Analyst. Joining me today is Chris Showbloom, our Senior Economist and Research Director, as well as Emily Makings, our Senior Research Analyst. We'll be discussing a few items of interest today, and we'll start off with you, Emily, shall we? Mm -hmm. Um, You'll be talking about some news from the National Labor Relations Board. Right. Last week, the NLRB ruled that the Browning Ferris Industries, which is a waste management company, is a joint employer of workers hired by its contractor. And in in making this ruling, the NLRB uh, changed the joint employer standard. And the old standard had required evidence of direct and immediate control over employees. And it also required that control be substantial and not limited and routine. The old standard focused on the actual exercise of the control. But now a potential joint employer need only possess the authority to control employees' terms and conditions of employment. So they don't actually have to exercise that control. It can just be written into the contract. And they are joint employers if they share or co-determine matters about the essential terms and conditions of employment. So as the dissent in the case notes, this will have broad implications in terms of allowing um, new joint bargaining obligations and also potentially joint liability for unfair labor practices and the like. So um, this change in the standard will almost definitely impact franchise system. The NLRB had not previously held franchisers to be joint employers with franchisees, but based on this new standard, that will probably change. Um, and with that, it would be easier to organize workers because a union would not have to organize the workers at every single McDonald's franchise, for example. If they could just go to McDonald's corporate and say, we're going to unionize all of your workers. Um but so with this, the, the, the nature of work seems to be changing in the, with our new economy. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority in the case writes that they are actually revisiting the standard because contracting and contingent employment is increasing, which means that the, those employees really don't bargain like traditional employees have in the past. Sure. Because it's harder to do so. Um, Private sector unionization has been steadily declining over the last several decades. And then when you also consider, um, for example, Seattle's minimum wage, there was a provision that um, made sure that the franchisees were considered large employers. So they have to Mm -hmm. meet the new minimum wage requirements on a faster schedule than other similar smaller employers do. And then also... Uh, In California, the Labor Commission decided that Uber drivers are actually employees of Uber rather than just independent contractors. So there's a lot Mm. of, there are a number of, um, yes, labor decisions lately that are almost trying to turn back the clock, it seems like, and trying to um, say that all of these workers in this kind of new sharing economy Mm -hmm. are actually they can be unionized and um, under the old standards. Right. Kind of trying to apply the old 
paradigm to this right. totally new economy. Right. And that might make the franchise system totally unworkable going yeah. forward. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I heard about this was all over the news and talk about wide ranging, wide ranging repercussions. Yeah. And, and the issue is uh, one of the issues to watch for are unintended consequences. See right. how as we go forward, mm-hmm. some of the uh, this plays out. Uh, at least one possibility is that the franchisors will um, uh, cut back on the sorts of requirements that they have on their franchisees to try and and distance themselves right. enough from it that they can get on the other side of the line. Uh, sure. Um, and there may be some bad consequences. I was reading one about uh, where the I uh, believe the. Browning Ferris, one of the things was pointed to were the uh, safety standards that Mm -hmm. Browning Ferris was imposing. Uh, So, you know, do you stop, you know, trying to make sure the people who are franchising, who are uh, contracting with you are actually provide a safe workplace? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, anything could happen. Yep. Well, I'm sure this isn't the last we'll have heard of this. No, there will be litigation. Yeah. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> you can imagine. Like, there will be blood. There will be litigation. The, the decisions like this often leave more, uh, open up a whole set of uh, questions to be answered um, that leave it, make it um, fun to watch. Yes. Yeah. If painful. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That it? Yep. Okay. Thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, you are going to be talking about the stock market, which has been yes. in some amount of turmoil yes. globally. Now, we should point out that uh, we're talking on Monday. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I forgot to say the date. Of, mm-hmm. of, thank uh, you. Of August, um, after the markets have closed for the day. So, right. you know, so nothing we say will affect the global economy. <laughs> economy. And, and, and this is another area where things move around so fast that if you somebody listens to us three or four days from today, it's going to be you know a lot of water will be passed under this bridge. Um, but today, at least, the, the market um, um, it was measured by the Standard & Poor's, uh, fell by uh, 16 and uh, uh, 16.69 points or uh, about 8 Uh, 0.84%. Small change uh, given what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks. I've been through um, um, two really um, um, very uh, volatile weeks on the market. Um, at, at the just looking uh, as the benchmark starting point, the uh, the end of of July. Um, at the worst, um, the Standard and Poor's on the 25th was down uh, 11 and uh, a little over 11 percent for the month. It kind of came back. Um, that was that was actually Tuesday of last week. Came back some towards the end of the week, um, and as of today, is 6.3 percent uh, below um, where it had been a month earlier. Um, you know, as they say, markets do fluctuate, mm-hmm. and it comes with the comes with the territory. Um, the, the 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 turmoil we're seeing now seems to have been spreading from the uh, from the Far East. Uh, in many ways, the markets there um, have been sort of down even more than the markets in the U.S., particularly in China, um, Hong Kong, and uh, um, and elsewhere. Um, um, I think the thing to keep keep uh, keep in mind is that the 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 market the markets at least in the U.S. are up a tremendous amount from 
uh, where they were at the depths of the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. Uh, The low point on the Standard Poor's was about 700 and we're still up just short of two at just short of two thousand, so we're up a great deal. Um, stocks at this level, um, uh, on a, on a historical basis, seem to be uh, relatively expensive. Um, there's a a measure that I like to look at: the Schiller price to earnings ratio, um, which measures um, of kind of a ten year average of of earnings for the Saturn Board five hundred. Uh, to the uh, the price of that index uh, adjusted for inflation, um, and by those matters, things seem to be fully priced. The stock market seems to be fully priced. But what you have to remember is that we're in an era of very very low interest rates, mm-hmm. and and you know stocks are priced in comparison to yields you can get on bonds and other things. Uh, so that um, the, the stock market has been priced, um, um, reflecting those other yields. Um, and always at this level going forward, you knew that, uh, should have expected that the uh, uh, on for going forward returns on the stock market aren't going to be that high because the returns on all the alternatives are so low. So I, I don't see there any reason, given the low interest rates, to feel that our current stock prices are out of line. So mm-hmm. people shouldn't be overly worried about that. Um, but you need to recognize that in this current environment, you just can't earn, expect to earn a great deal on stocks going forward. Okay. Um, Interesting. And, and that, of course, has implications for a subject that's near and dear to our hearts, which are state pensions. That's and right. The funding of the state of the of the state pension system, mm-hmm. um, and in the current environment, uh, the historical rates of return that are used uh, to evaluate whether the the adequacy of the reserves being held for probably are too generous, and that going forward, uh, uh, we ought not to expect the seven and a half percent, which seems they are typically used to evaluate that, and which they count on, which they count on. Uh, uh, yeah, so. the expectations <laughs> might be a little out of whack with yes, what's yes. going to the results. Yes, and the interest rates have fallen. That's that's pushed up the the uh, the value of the stock holdings, which has made people feel feel pretty good about the pensions. Mm-hmm. But the but the, the 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 flip side of that is that because they've they've gone up, they're not going to going to provide the kind of return going forward as uh, we might have expected. All right. Well, again, there's a topic we're not going to hear the the last of. Yes. <laughs> it's um, ongoing. It's ongoing. It's <laughs> the, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there will be many more podcasts devoted oh, to pensions, I guarantee oh, yes. you, over the next Committee hearings, podcasts. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, thank you, Chris. You're welcome. For that update. And um, lastly, I'm going to talk briefly about a new uh, tax foundation um, report uh, called Location Matters. I think this is its second edition. Um, and the, the tax foundation collaborated with KPMG to develop what it calls an apples-to-apples comparison of 
corporate tax costs in the 50 states. Um, so tax foundation economists designed seven model firms, a corporate headquarters, a research and development facility, an independent retail store, a capital-intensive manufacturer, a labor-intensive manufacturer, a call center, and a distribution center. Um, and then the KPMG tax specialist calculated each firm's tax bill in each state. Additionally, each firm was modeled uh, twice in each state, once as a new firm eligible for tax incentives and once as a mature firm not eligible for such incentives. Um, the Tax Foundation says that the state, its state business tax climate index, which it puts out every year, I, th- I believe every year, um, is a it calls it a useful tool for lawmakers to understand how neutral and efficient their state's tax system is compared to other states and to identify areas where their system can be improved. However, um, it doesn't address the bottom line question that they say is asked by many business executives, how much will our company pay in taxes? Um, And I think another issue that we have here in Washington with the Tax Foundation State Business Tax Climate Index is that it incorporates a personal income tax, which we don't have. Um, And so sometimes the results can be skewed. This one seems to be much more of a comprehensive analysis. So I'll just go quickly over the rankings. Um, For a corporate headquarters, um, Washington ranked for a mature corporate headquarters, they called it, ranked 46th in the nation with a 19.4% effective tax rate. For a new corporate headquarters, uh, Washington did even worse. It ranked 49th with a 25.9% effective tax rate. For a research and development facility, uh, Washington ranked 17th for a mature company and 31st for a new company. For a retail store, Washington ranked 6th for mature and 23 for new. For a capital-intensive manufacturer, uh, manufacturer and uh, the model they used is a steel company, a hypothetical steel company with 200 total positions. Washington ranked 22nd for mature and 42nd for new. For a labor-intensive manufacturer, uh, the model they used is a hypothetical manufacturer of trucks or buses with about 300 employees. Uh, Washington ranked 34th for mature and 50th, dead last, for new. For a call center, Washington ranked 11th for mature, 25th for new. For a distribution center, and the model they used uh, is a warehouse facility operated by an independent third-party logistics provider for a large company with 95 employees, Washington ranked 6th for mature and 27th for new. Um, in terms of its the, the study's description of Washington, uh, the Tax Foundation and KPMG said that in lieu of a traditional corporate income tax, Washington imposes a gross receipts tax called the business and occupation tax, B&O tax, as we all know. And they say the structure of this tax, which imposes different rates on distinct industry categories, contributes to vertical integration as firms seek to claim an industry classification subject to a lesser tax burden. 
Um, they continue, because our model firms represent typical examples of their type, they fare better under gross receipts taxation than would many real-world firms, since Washington's B&O tax is indifferent to a firm's actual profit margins. And finally, the report says Washington employs a single sales factor apportionment and benefit sourcing, both of which favor many of the firms in our study, but also imposes a throwback rule on tangible property sales. The state's property tax base includes equipment, though the sales tax base expressly excludes manufacturing machinery and research and development equipment. So there you have it. Thoughts? Well, it's, it's um, um, as it confirmed some uh, earlier studies that, mm-hmm. uh, using a similar methodology um, that in many ways we are, we, we impose an abnormally high share of our tax burden uh, through taxes on business. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and the, uh, these results are the consequence. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah, especially on... Uh, Gosh, what was it? Were we 49th for corporate headquarters for new, 50th for labor intent, new labor intensive manufacturer? Seems like there's room for improvement there. At least to get us <laughs> to the middle of the list, maybe. <laughs> Not dead last or second to dead last. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think that's it for us mm-hmm. for this week. Thank you all for listening. And uh, this has been the In Focus podcast from the Washington Research Council. And we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. In Focus is a production of the Washington Research Council, dedicated to providing timely, credible research and policy analysis supporting economic vitality and private sector job creation. Your tax-deductible investment allows our work to continue. For more information, go to researchcouncil.org.